Now, we've been doing this series, You Asked Me, for three years. And every year we get asked the same question. And I've been avoiding it. And I've decided, okay, let's get to it. And it's this question. Here's the question. Prophecy and end times. End times, right? How we as Christians should be living. It's really two questions here. Prophecy and end times, how we as Christians should be living. So I'm going to be responding to this question. What's really interesting that every generation believed they lived in the end times. Every generation believed that in some way that their, um, their world and their time was outliving the book of Revelations. Every generation. In fact, the world is obsessed with the end. Uh, we just look at all the movies and TV series and books that are out there about the end, right? The, the, you've got about some natural disaster movie, mo- movies about viruses, especially now. Uh, you've got movies about zombies, aliens taking over the world, all this uh, apocalyptic movies and literature that's out there. We're obsessed. And Christians, are, there's no, and Christians are, are, are the same as well. In fact, when it comes to the, uh, to the study of end times, the uh, theological term is eschatology. Ektost, meaning, uh, meaning last, so therefore eschatology, last things, or the study of last things, end times. And so, so it's a broad, massive subject. Now, this is what we know. Okay, majority of the Bible is a narrative. Narrative, we've got, we've got poetry, uh, we've got prophecy. See, pro- well, prophecy is, prophecy is, uh, pro- prophecy is mainly is, is forth-telling. It's, it's coming of warning and comfort. That's what is warning and covered. It's not really foretelling or telling a future. Now, there is a part that is telling the future. It's called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic. And, there, and apocalyptic literature is, is a very small portion in the Bible. Majority of the Bible is narrative. So therefore, um, things we know for certain, we read the Bible, we, we understand, we read it like Jesus died on the cross for our sins to set us free. He conquered the power of sin and death, the principalities, and defeated it at the cross. And he rose again and he sits at the right hand of God. That is clear. Clear. It's written in narrative, written in letter form. It is clear. Uh, we can hold that he was born of the Virgin Mary. Okay. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That is clear. Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, that is very clear. But what is not clear is the study of last things. And the reason why the study of last thing, things aren't as clear is because it's written in a very ancient type of literature called apocalyptic literature. Now, apocalyptic is where we get the word apocalypse from. What the word apocalypse means, the word apocalypse means is to uncover or to reveal. So like, for instance, if you're having a barbecue, lots of flies around, what do you do? Cover it up. Right? And then you call everybody for dinner, dinner time or lunch time, whatever it is. And what do you do? You apocalypse the food. <laughs> that's basically what it means. You apocalypse the food. You're revealing the food. You're uncovering the food. And that's what apocalypse means. It means uncovering. And, and obviously, when you look at the dictionary, uh, in Strong's, or look, look in the dictionary, it'll say it talks about end times of the book of Revelation or something like that. But according to Jewish, well, the Jewish word, when the Jewish, were taught, or Jewish understanding is the apocalypse is the uncovering. And that's what the apocalypse mean. And in English, it's the word revelation. So we get the book of Revelation. And revelation is a book of prophecy. So there's a bit of, there's warning and there's encouragement, there's comfort um, spoken in there. There's, it's a letter, it's written to the seven letters. But it's also, majority of it is apocalyptic literature. And, uh, and that is not clear. Apocalyptic literature is vision and dream literature. Have you ever had a dream? 
um, your dreams or your vision, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's quite symbolic. And which is why when it comes to the end times, it is hotly debated what it actually means because it's, it's big and it's vast, which is why I've been avoiding this topic so much because it's huge. And we're going to attempt to, we're just going to have an overview. Uh, please, my apologies, this is not, uh, it's going to be a bit of a teaching kind of rather than a message. So are you ready to have a look at some of these views? What we're going to do, we're going to start with Book of Revelations, chapter 20. So keep in mind, as we read the Book of Revelation, it is an apocalyptic literature. It's not a narrative. It's, a, it's apocalyptic. It's, it's figurative. It's symbolic when we read it. So turn with me, because out of, Romans, out of Revelation, chapter 20, comes all these different views of the end times, which is hotly debated, hotly debated amongst Christians. Uh, but, but you need to know something. Whatever you believe about the end times has nothing to do with your salvation, okay? So when you meet somebody who has a different end time view of yours, it's not the end of the world. Pardon the pun. Okay. It's not the end of the world. This is a topic, this is a topic where it's okay to have a different point of view. It's okay to disagree. This is a topic, so please, uh, I'm going to be sharing some, the three major views. I'm not going to be sharing... I'm not going to tell you which is my view. I'm just, going to share, I'm just sharing the three. So please, if you have a different point of view, don't start throwing stones at me, okay? Remember, this is a, it's okay to disagree. Okay, it's not the end of the world. Okay, here we go. Let's take a look at this apocalyptic literature, book of Revelations. Highly symbolic. So forth. let's read it. Revelations chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake, also, another thing to note when you're reading the book of Revelation, it is the only book in the New Testament that has the most hyperlinks to the Old Testament. So if you fully want to understand the book of Revelations, you need to fully understand the, the Old Testament. Okay, so, so if you really want to get grips of the Revelation, really know the Old Testament. So if you start reading, so, you, so my advice is before you read Revelation, read the whole Old Testament. Just read it about maybe 50, 100 times, then you can start reading Revelations. Okay, that's my advice. <laughs> okay, and so here, and he sees the dragon, that ancient snake, hyperlinked to Genesis, the garden, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, this is the term, the thousand years is what's been hotly debated amongst last things. Eschatology is the thousand years, it's known as the millennial period. Okay, this is the only place in the entire Bible which speaks about the millennium. The millennium, and this is the, this is the, so that's something to keep in mind, the millennium, a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years, the millennium, were ended, and that he must be set free for a short time. I saw a throne in which were seated those who had been given the authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus, because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast, or its image, and have not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. It's talking about the mark of the beast, which talked about earlier in Revelation, the mark of the beast. What's also interesting, another side note, is the, the word antichrist does not appear in the book of Revelation. You can look for it, you won't find it. Antichrist does not appear in the book of Revelation. However, the people associate the beast with the antichrist. Fun fact. Anyway... <laughs> They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Is that millennial period? 
The rest of the dead did not, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with them for a thousand years. Millennium. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. So we got this whole thing of um, Satan is bound for a thousand years, and, and then you've got this millennial reign where, where Christians will reign with Jesus for a thousand years. Then now Satan will be released, and then he will begin to influence people. Um, this is where we're getting into. Deceive uh, the nations. Uh, in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. And this is the Armageddon. This is where we get the phrase Armageddon, um, the battle of Armageddon, right here, in this part, because that's the, that's the field, Armageddon. In, in number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth, surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So not even one shot was fired, and Jesus wins. God wins. Okay, but there is no battle. It doesn't even happen. God just wins. Okay, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Hyperlink to Daniel 7, the, the, the uh, mobile throne, throne of God, the wheels thrown and out of the throne of God in Daniel 7. There's, there's a river of fire that comes out of the throne of God, and the beasts in Daniel 7 are thrown into the river of fire. And obviously, Daniel, um, Revelations, talks about the lake of fire, so if there's a river, obviously there's got to be a, a lake somewhere. Anyway, <laughs> another fun fact. Um, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, to the, the lake of fire, where the beasts and the false prophets had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, this passage is what's debated amongst Christians. And reason being is because the type of literature that it is, remember, Revelations is a small part, the majority of the Bible is clear. Who Jesus is, Son of God, died on the cross, set us free, amen. Okay. Now when it comes to the end times, it's not clear because it's apocalyptic literature. Is it symbolic? There are people who look at this as this is literal. It's in chronological order, it's literal. And there are others who say, no, it's not literal, it's symbolic because of the type of literature it is in the understanding of those days. So let's take a look at three of these main views, and we're going to put them on the screen behind me. Just like that, it's behind me. Power of technology. I'm going to try to get through this as fast as I can because there's so much to get through. Uh, and uh, it's okay if you don't understand it because I don't understand it either, so that's fine. Okay, here we go. <laughs> We're in the same boat. I meet lots of people who are experts. Everybody appears to be an expert. Uh, I just like to say I don't understand, but everybody else is an expert, so there's plenty of experts in here. Ask them. Okay, here we go. The millennial, 1,000 years. Pre-millennial, meaning that the second coming of Jesus will happen before the millennium happens. Okay, so if you're pre-millennialist, you believe, you believe that Society is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, okay? And it's going to get so bad, Jesus is going to come back. Secret, the secret coming back of Jesus comes back, and it's called the rapture. Rapture. This is where the rapture comes in. Rapture happens here, and um, so let's take pause. Let's read. Where do we get the word rapture from? So go back to my Bible. Let's have a quick read of Thessalonians. Hopefully I'm not losing anybody here. I know, that's why I keep ignoring this topic. But anyway, let's keep going. Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 15. According to the Lord's word, 
We tell you that we who are still alive, we are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Okay. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Where is the Lord coming from? Heaven. He's coming down. Where's he coming down to? To earth. Okay, got it. Okay, cool. Got that. With a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will, will rise first and after that we, are, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. And in Latin, the word caught up is the word rapture. Rapture. This is where rapture comes from. We caught up raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we'll be with the Lord forever. So if you're a premillennialist, go back to that point of view. When you read Thessalonians, what you see is that Jesus will come in the, in the clouds, and then we who are here will raise up, meet him, and then we go to heaven. We're out of here, okay? We're gone. Okay, clothes are left behind. Seen the movies, read the books, left behind series. Uh, obviously, your clothes aren't worthy to go to heaven. They get left behind. Planes are crashing because Christians were flying them, things like that. Okay, right here. And uh, then begins the age of seven years of tribulations, Antichrist, all the other stuff in there, and then second coming of Jesus, the Antichrist is cast into the lake of fire, and then Jesus comes on earth, and he reigns on earth with believers, with Christians, for a thousand years, and then on the, after a thousand years, a literal thousand years, and then last judgment, the judgment that everybody's raised, a second resurrection of all, the, all those, and the judge, and those who are, who are not in the Lamb's book of life is cast into the lake of fire, Okay. Pre-millennial. Now, when I, um, for this, this view here is, is a very common view, especially amongst Pentecostals, very popular view amongst Pentecostals. When I first became a Christian, this is the view, this is the only view I learned until I went to Bible college and it shocked me. Okay, anyway. <laughs> now, post-millennial, meaning the, mill- uh, the second coming happens after the millennium period. Got that? Okay, great. <laughs> here we go. Oh, also, one thing to note, post-millennial and our millennial do not believe in the rapture. Do not believe in the rapture. Um, go back to 1 Thessalonians again. Can we go to 1 Thessalonians, the interpretation to the, um, to, the, to the last part of the Thessalonians. Anyway, last verse, 17. Okay, so remember, where's Jesus, where's Jesus coming? To the earth. Okay, so, um, and so therefore, uh, it is the second coming. It is the second, this is verses about the second coming. Um, and so, so back in Greco-Roman period, what happened quite often, still happens today, is that when a, a, an important official was coming to the town, or the king is coming, what do, what do the people do? They leave the city, and they come to the king, or to the Caesar, or to the, and then they come, they come, they meet him right where they are, and they, and they bring him into the city. They bring him into the city. So that is a, a common that's a, com- a common analogy. And so biblical scholars look at that and that Paul is using a well-known example of what they do. So, so, so therefore, it's not, it's not that, uh, that we're raptured and we go, go with Jesus, go away. It's Jesus coming to earth, believers are meeting them and, bringing them and coming with them to earth. And that's, so that's post-millennialist and our millennialist, what they have used. Go back to point of view. You guys got all that? Oh man, I'm exhausted just talking about that. Oh my goodness. And we're just, and this is just the intro. Okay, here we go. Uh, so, where's my clicker? Here it is. Okay. 
So there is no rapture, um, and the millennium will happen whenever. It may, it may have already happened. Who knows? We could be in the millennium now. Also, they don't believe that things get worse and worse and worse and worse. They believe things will get better and better and better and better and better. It's the opposite view. Uh, the more the gospel is preached, the more lives are transformed, and the world will get better and better, and to a point where we'll have this millennial kingdom with God, and then second coming at the end, last judgment. Got it? Great. Oh, come on now. A millennial. You can read that. Okay, got it. Let's move on. Okay, just kidding. Okay, here we go. Now, a millennial or our millennial, however you like to say it, uh, their point of view is this. At the cross, again, no rapture. At the cross, when we read in Revelations where the devil is bound, this is where it happened. That on the cross, Jesus defeated the devil, the principalities, took the keys of sin and death, conquered it at the cross. At this point, conquered here. Therefore, therefore, the millennium began here. Millennium is not a literal thousand years. When we read, the, a thousand years appears about 500 times in, in, the, in the Bible. 500 times in the Bible. And it's, when, it, when, it's, when it's always referenced to time, it's always symbolic. Like, you know, like God, the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? We know there's more than a thousand hills. It's just a symbolic of he owns them all. Okay, so therefore, if you're on this view, you believe that the devil was defeated there, he's in prison, and Jesus is reigning in heaven. So if you're a believer, you die, you're reigning, you're reigning with Jesus in heaven. Okay, until, until God decides when to come back, till the fullness of Gentiles, second coming will happen, and last judgment will happen here. Also, um, Armelinists believe that both both society will get worse as well as good. The good and the bad will happen side by side all the way. Okay, so things are getting worse and things are getting good at the same time, all the way until the second coming, last judgment. <sighs> okay, praise God. See you guys next week. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, those are the three main views. And could I just say, every single of these main views have so many different tangents. It's crazy. Mid-trip, post-trip, pre-trip. That's just in, in pre-millennialist, dispensationalist, all that, all happening in there. We're not going there. And there's also another group called preterist. We're not going there either. Okay, done. Those are the three views. And, uh, but the good news is this. All, all biblical scholars, one thing that we do agree on is, is that your relationship with Jesus now, your relation to Jesus now affects what happens at the end. If you believe in Jesus now, you're forgiven of your sins now, and you're accepted by him on that day, on judgment day. If you reject Jesus now, you're rejected by Jesus on judgment day. That is clear. Okay, so there we have it. So now we're going to go to our second part of the question. How, <laughs> now we've got all this information, how are we meant to live in today's life? How do we live as Christians? How should we be living? It's really, really tough, especially in the times of the pandemic, COVID. When COVID, when COVID struck, there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction like these. This is the last days. We're in the last days, right? Um, God is judging humanity because we're so bad. And, and, which is, to be honest, it's, it's, a natural, it's a natural assumption because remember, every generation believed they were living in the last days, living out the book of Revelations. Um, just think about um, World War I. Many Christians believe it was the end, we were living in the end times. The whole world was at war. World War II. If you're living through that, you feel like these are the end times. So every generation have it. Now we're in this season of, of life. 
and it's like, or it feels like that this is the last days. So every generation is the last days. So, we li- so in, in a way, we are living in the last days. Okay, so how do we deal with it? How should we be living? And um, how do we deal with the pandemic? And we just turn to Scripture. I love what, what Acts chapter 11, verse 27 to 30 says. It says, During the time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus. Everybody say Agabus. It's just cool. I just really wanted to hear that. Anyway, Agabus. If you're having a baby, that's a great name to name your kid. Agabus. Okay. Agabus stood up. And through the Spirit predicted that, we've got all these, all these babies named Agabus from now on. Anyway, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, the, the disciples and each one of them was able, uh, the disciples, I'm just so tired of talking. Uh, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. What, what's really, so we've got this prophet called Agabus saying that a famine is going to come over the entire world. If you're living in the Roman Empire, it seemed like the entire world. So it's, it's, it's like a worldwide pandemic coming over the whole world. This is what they didn't do. They didn't start laying blame. Oh, you know, I bet you, I bet you it was the government. I bet you it was Caesar. Yeah, he's the one pulling all the strings. I bet you it's, it's that... It's that um, it's that company that he has just trying to make money out of all the medication. Uh, uh, whatever it is, they didn't lay blame. They didn't say, like, we need to repent. They didn't say it's a second coming or living in the last days. What did they do? What was the Christian response? The Christian response was this. Is that they, there was three things. Who was at need? How can we help? What can we do? And who are we going to send? That's the Christian response. How do we live in today's world? It's basically, are we aware of the need around us? Are we aware of the, the very real need that is around us? People that we know that, that are struggling. How can we be a blessing to them? Now, when it comes to the COVID pandemic, it can be confusing. We know the lockdown. Like, if we ever go back in lockdown, God forbidding, if we ever go back in lockdown, there's a lot of confusion. Should Christians still meet? Oh, you know what? You know, we've got God-given right to meet. We should still meet. Well, let's just... Let's just put the blood of Jesus on us. We'll be all good. Okay? There's a lot of confusion around that. And I understand. I get that. But again, let's go to Scripture. Scripture can help. And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what's the greatest commandment? Love God. Love people. This is how we should be living now. To love God and to love people. See, see, God sees that your, your relationship with God is interwoven with your relationship with other people. Do you understand that? Your relationship with God is woven, interwoven with your relationship with people. So therefore, we, so therefore, we, we, can't, be, we can't be loving God and, and, um, and putting people at risk at, at their expense. We've got to love God. We've got to do what we can to protect. We've got to be smart. Because you know, here's the thing. Sometimes we... Sometimes, you know, I, I get this, you know, let's, just, let's, let's apply the blood of Jesus on us, we'll keep us safe. But, you know, we've got to be careful. Sometimes we're taking the Lord's name in vain when we do that. Because we're using the name of Jesus to, to all of a sudden to say, well, you know, I don't have to, I, don't, you know, I can walk through and not follow any safety procedures. We, we take his name in vain by saying that. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I, um, during the 14th century, there was something called the Black Plague or the Black Death. And it was lethal. A third of Europe's population was killed. One third. 
In fact, in Asia, three times as much. That's 50 million people. 50 million people were killed during the Black Plague. If you got the Black Plague, it will take you in 12 hours. It was quick. You got it in a day, you're gone by lunchtime. Well, that's if you got it at midnight. Anyway. If you got it at 3 a.m., you're dead by 3 p.m. Okay, here you go. It was lethal. Martin Luther. Martin Luther is the father of the Reformation. He is a biblical scholar in the highest order. He's a very, very smart man. He was active. When the Black Plague hit his city, he got told, because he was part of the universe, go, leave, get to safety. Everybody was just running. Everybody was running from this pandemic. Oh, man, if it kills you in 12 hours, why wouldn't you? But Martin Luther decided not to. He decided to stop and help those in need because that's our response. What can I do? And this is what he said. I love what he said. He says this. With God's permission, the enemy has sent poison and deadly dung among us. I love that, deadly dung. We'll probably use another word. Um, And so I will pray to God that he may be gracious and preserve us. Then I will fumigate to purify the air. I will sanitize. Give and take medicine. Avoid places and persons where I'm not needed in order that I may not abuse myself and through me others may not be infected and inflamed with the result that I become the cause of their death through my negligence. Social distancing. If God wishes to take me, he will be able to find me. At least I have done what he gave me to do and I am responsible neither for my own death nor for the death of others. But if my neighbor needs me, I shall avoid neither person nor place, but feel free to visit and help him. Luther believed that the normal cause, the normal cause of action for a believer is to do what we can. But at the same time, he understood, even in the time where they didn't understand germs and viruses, he understood that it was quite possible for a well-meaning person to make matters worse. To do what we can, but do it wisely. To do it as safely as we can. So love our neighbor as ourselves the best way, my devotion to God is measured by what I do for people. Oh, well, you know, God first, I don't care what, other, what happens to other people. Well, we're not loving God when we do that. So if you want to put God first, then you need to put people first. We need to ask the question, what can I do? And that's to do, and to do it as, as, as safely as possible and to be a blessing to others. This is what we can do. We can share the gospel. You can, be, you, can, you can go, you're supposed to have surgery, and you're healed. And the doctors have no idea, and you can begin to share the gospel of how Jesus heals right there in that moment. You can tell people your testimonies. Be carriers of hope. So let your light shine. Be aware of the real need that's around you. Be aware. That's what we can do. We can do. Let's be wise. Let's be safe. Let's love our neighbor as ourselves, because my relation to God, my devotion to God is measured by what I do for people. And you know, with this whole vaccine, I'm not jumping in the vaccine debate, I'm not, not at all. But what I don't like hearing, honestly, is when people take the Bible out of context. So this is what I've heard, I heard, oh, the, the, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. I'm not giving any views on the vaccine, but this is what I don't like hearing. I don't like people Making the Bible say something that it clearly does not say. It does not say that. We can't make the Bible say something that it does not say. We've got to be very clear when we speak about the Bible, speak in context. The Bible clearly does not say that. 
And I love what Martin Luther says when he was working on Ground Zero. He said, he said talking of people who put it, who put it, he's talking of other believers who are putting themselves at risk. This is what he said of them. He said, they are much too rash and reckless, tempting God and disregarding everything which might counteract death and the plague. They disdain the use of medicine. They do not avoid places, which means if there's a, if there's a vaccine, they don't want to take it. They do not avoid places and persons affected by the plague, but lightheartedly make sport of it and wish to prove how independent they are. Look how holy I am. They say that it is God's punishment. If it is God's punishment, if he wants to protect them, then he can do so without medicine or, uh, medicine or our carefulness. Then I love what he says. He says, that is not trusting God, but tempting him. Martin Luther, father of the Reformation, a biblical scholar at the highest level, way smarter than me. There's a lot of people. Way, in fact, there's a lot of you in this room way smarter than me. Who would say to a fellow believer who simply said, just trust God. His response, that is not trusting God, but tempting him. Every generation has believed they're living in the last days. In some way, living out the book of Revelations. But what matters now is your relationship with Jesus. A lot of debates what happens at the end, but what we know for certain is where are you with Jesus right now? Where are you with him? Because how you respond to Jesus now will affect how you respond to him then. If you receive Jesus now, you are forgiven of your sins now. You're forgiven now. You've been set free. God loved you so much that he stepped into humanity, bind himself with flesh, and that on the cross he died for your sins so that whoever receives him, you are forgiven now and you're accepted by him on judgment day. But, it, and this is, I need to share this. This is clear. But those who reject Jesus now are rejected by him on judgment day. When is the end of the world? Let me tell you something. This I know for sure. When you die, that will be the end of the world for you. That I know for sure. But where are you with Jesus right now? 